Welcome to this podcast episode from New South Wales Family Day Care Association's PD in Your Pocket program. The topic for this month is Food in Family Daycare. This is a recording of the webinar presentation on the 30th of August, 2022, and was presented by Chris Hall. The webinar also includes an interview with Anne McIntosh from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and Christine Villa, Early Childhood Educator, and they are interviewed for this podcast by Early Childhood Education Consultant, Lisa Bryant. So welcome to the 17th edition of PD in Your Pocket with um, New South Wales Family Daycare Association. Tonight's session is on food in family daycare. My name is Chris Hall and I'm going to be your facilitator for this evening. So I hope you really enjoy this session. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country that we meet upon today. I know we are on many different lands with many traditional owners, but for New South Wales Family Daycare Association and where I'm coming from tonight, I'm meeting on Darrawal country. So I would like to pay my respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and future and pay my respects and to all First Nations people tonight, we say welcome. It's important that we remember that Aboriginal families have fed their children safely for thousands of years on the land we meet upon. Before colonisation, Aboriginal people ate a very large variety of plant foods, such as fruits, nuts, roots, vegetables, grasses and seeds, as well as different meats such as kangaroos, emus, possums, goannas, turtles, shellfish and fish. Aboriginal peoples have a profound connection to the food and practices as part of their in intimate relationship with country. And I would really like to reiterate all of this tonight with you. And also just to remember that access to traditional foods for Aboriginal people was denied um, during colonisation. And Aboriginal people were forced to actually eat a diet higher in refined carbohydrates such as saturated fats and etc. As a consequence, in Australia today, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, would like to share their knowledge of bush tucker with us and we would like to pay our respects by acknowledging this and welcoming um, lots of different native foods such as desert um, quadrangles, um, finger limes and also lemon myrtle. So some of these things you will be able to use within your services and hopefully we share this with children. Okay, so we're just going to have a look at this. So first of all, I just want to check, did everybody receive and read their resource booklet that was sent out prior to this session? So you would have been sent a link um, to a specially prepared booklet last week. If you didn't receive that, you can find the link on the screen. And if you are watching this presentation, the link is there for you to go to. If you are listening to this session as a podcast, the link that you can go to is www. New South Wales FDC.org.au forward slash PD in your pocket. The New South Wales Department of Education is funding tonight's session and we would like to thank them for that. And they will be funding the next two PD in your pocket sessions as well. We have been asked why when you register are only some of the family daycare services names on the sign in. All New South Wales services are in there. And if you come from another state, please just choose a different one. This is so that we can collect some data about some of the New South Wales services. So please feel free to jump in and have a look at that. 
We will also be sending you surveys um, following this session. And if you could fill them in, please, that would be fantastic because the feedback actually helps us to get funding and continue providing this training for free. So hopefully you enjoy. Okay, let's have a look at this. What did we learn from you? So you may remember that we asked you some questions when you registered for this session. So prior to this, and this is what we learned from you. So we're just going to break this down a little bit. Okay, so what we saw was 38% um, of all educators told us that they do not supply any food for their family daycare children. 20% of educators told us that they do supply all of the food. 30% said they do supply food, but in particular snacks and um, special occasion foods. And 12% of educators told us that they do provide morning tea and afternoon tea only. So having a look at this, um, quite interesting statistics, and we will break these down a little bit further as we go along. So let's have a look at the next one. Okay, so next we asked, do you have children enrolled now who have special dietary requirements? So that could be allergies, intolerances, cultural um, requirements, etc. 31 of, sorry, 31% of you said that you do have um, children who are enrolled with dietary requirements and 69% of you said that you don't. So this actually shows how high the percentage of children with additional food needs actually is. And if our group is representative of FDC, it would actually tell us that out of every 10 educators, three would have at least one child with special dietary needs. So the figures are, are quite high. So let's have a look at this one. Do you have children enrolled now who have special dietary requirements? Um, so currently 69% said no and 31% said yes. So um, we're just going to go to the next one and start looking at what this looks like in practice. Okay, so which of these foods, if any, would you not serve to children within your care or looking for that some families would be packing some of these foods in there? So let's break this down a little bit more. So it's a bit hard for us to categorise all of your answers, but the interesting thing here is that we've got a few answers correct, um, which is fantastic. So this was on the survey. Um, so chips. Um, so both hot chips and ones out of the packet, bacon and ham shouldn't be served to children because of the high salt content and high fat content. And that's the same with store-bought pizzas, which I'm sure many of us probably already know, but it's really interesting to sort of have a look at, you know, the food trends and, and how this affects food for children in family daycare. And because we are a home-based childcare service, sometimes it is easier to actually reach for some of these foods. So we really need to be aware of this when we're planning meals for children. Then we looked at ice cream, jam, usually bars, out of the packet and, sorry, out of packet and biscuits shouldn't be served as well because of the high content of sugar and also high fat content. And these foods are definitely considered discretionary foods under the Australian Dietary Guidelines. And these are the foods that are not essential for our health and they can be characterised by being high in saturated fats, sugars and salts. 
So I'm sure many of you know this and I'm sure when you break this down and put these into activities with children about sometimes foods or, you know, foods that should be eaten often, it's really important to um, discuss this with children and families of your service. And I think to outlining this with the expectations with families upon enrolment as well. Okay, so let's have a look at what we're going to be covering in tonight's session. So first of all, we're going to have a look at the importance of food in family daycare. Secondly, we're going to have a look at the advantages and disadvantages of supplying food. And hopefully this will resonate with you or, or maybe change your mind about how you supply food for children. Thirdly, we're going to have a look as look at food as part of the curriculum, and that's a really interesting topic and probably something that would resonate with all of you about how we can actually include this in our program and practice. Number four, nutrition for children. And again, a lot of this will probably, you know, just be reinforcing things that you already know, but I think it's really important to unpack that and revisit this on a regular basis, especially with children. Number five, food safe practices. Number six, what the regs and the national quality standards require. Again, something that you probably already know, but I think it is really helpful to unpack that again and, and just revisit that. Number seven, food allergies and anaphylaxis risk management. Number eight, we're going to have a video. And then nine is when we will finish the session with some questions and hopefully we can get through as many as we can. If we can't, please keep them coming through and I'm sure New South Wales Family Daycare Association will be able to put something out following this session. So lots to cover. So let's get started. So the importance of food in family daycare, as you could probably imagine, this is very important as we are a home-based childcare service. Um, early childhood service and also what we do, our practices, definitely influences the children and the family. So we play a very important role as an educator to guide the importance of food in family daycare. So let's have a look at some of these beautiful pictures. Okay, so I'm sure everybody can have a look at this picture and find lots of different delicious foods on there. We all love food and we all need food to grow and develop. So when we see pictures like this on the screen, we generally have positive emotions as opposed to probably the previous slide where there was lots of food high in sugars, fats, salts, things like that. So did you know that it is thought that the human evolution and exploration of the world was shaped by a hunger for tasty food? It's a quest for deliciousness. Apparently, ancient humans who had the ability to smell and desire more complex smells and enjoy food and drink with a sour taste gained evolutionary advantages over others. So interesting fact. Some of the most significant inventions early humans made, such as stone tools and controlled use of fire, were thought to be because of their pursuit for flavour and a preference for food that they considered delicious. So I think when we're unpacking this with children and presenting food to children, we want it to be balanced, but we want it to look inviting, very much like our programmed activities. We really want to engage children and guide them into eating food correctly. So we play a very important role. Okay, so let's have a look at this beautiful baby here, being very independent and um, engaging in a sense of agency and attempting to feed themselves. So certainly you have to introduce 
a baby to food um, once or twice to understand how important food is to new humans. And again, it's having that great relationship with your families and, you know, really getting to know what the children like and don't like, what their preferences are. But also importantly, our learning frameworks tell us that good nutrition is essential to healthy living and it also enables children to be active participants in play and learning. So they are essentially telling us that food is important because it enables to engage this as part of our curriculum and program. A child that is hungry cannot play. Um, and as educators, we have to ensure that the children in our care get the food and the nutrition that they need. And I think we also play a part in educating families about that as well. It's um, probably a misconception that all parents know what they need to feed their children. But I think, again, you know, we, we really play an important role with working with families and children about guiding this practice. So providing lots of examples through newsletters or your Facebook page or however, whatever means you have to communicate with your families, we play an important role to, um, to talk about food and nutrition and, and the importance of that for children. Okay, so let's have a look at this beautiful photo. Um, it's also important that the food that children eat is healthy, but it also fills their nutritional requirements as well. It's also important that the food that children eat with us is safe and that we will not give them a food um, that can actually cause them to have an illness or an allergic reaction. So we'll unpack this a little bit more as we go along. Okay, let's have a look at these beautiful children here engaging in deep thoughts and um, exploring food at the same time. So food is also an important social experience. And I think when we look at our program and practice and, you know, all things pedagogy, we really need to have a look at the importance that food actually plays um, and especially for socialisation. So think about how important it is for you as an adult to be eating with others. It's actually something that we do with our families, with our friends. It can be a, a starting point for conversation when we have a beautiful meal. So it's the same for children as well. So think about the last food that you cooked for somebody special or a special meal that you ate with someone. And just remember that eating is at the core of all social experiences. And children are learning that sharing mealtimes is fun and it is a time when we come together as a group and stop what we are individually doing. And I think, too, it's really important to sort of stop on this point and really think about our role as early childhood educators to engage and have deep conversations with children when we're eating food. Um, so many learning experiences can come out of that as well, um, as well as, you know, sitting back and watching children socialise with each other as we are in this photo here. So let's have a look at this beautiful photo. Um, so food is also a part of our curriculum in family daycare, and we need to teach children about food. And the main way that we can do that as early childhood educators is talk to children about where it comes from. Can we grow it with them? Can they be part of that learning process? How can we care for it? How can we care for the environment? And also, what can we do with it once the food has been grown? Uh, what do we do with it? We cook with it. And that turns into lots of other experiences as well for children. But we need to talk to children and educate them and families, I would say, as well about how our bodies need food and good nutrition, how we can prepare it safely and what food our bodies need and what foods they don't need, as we saw in the first photo of all of those sugary, yummy chocolates and things like that. 
Okay, so the advantages and disadvantages of supplying food in family daycare. So I just want you to have a minute to just sit there and just reflect um, and just really have a think about if you are supplying meals for children in family daycare. I just want you to think about your practices for a moment. And if you don't, but you are still providing, you know, opportunities if children run out of food or things like that, then, you know, obviously you're going to think about this slightly different. But I want you to have a think about do you provide food for your children or do the parents pack it? And if you do provide it, how much thought and planning goes into meal preparation? So where do we source the produce from are the children involved in that process you know how how do we actually provide the meals and and what is the whole process so we discovered in our last survey that some of the educators and some of the sorry some of the educators do and some don't provide food but what are the advantages and what are the disadvantages the exciting thing is that as a family daycare educator, we get to choose. And that's something that you can really, um, you know, use with your families as a starting point for deep conversation. And also knowing that you actually have a great influence over fresh produce. And, you know, some children may not have a cooked meal at night and you might be the person that is actually providing the healthiest meal for a child through the day. Or you might have a child who brings lots of food and they're so used to that experience. So, um, you know, we're, we're just going to unpack this a little bit further. Okay, so let's have a look at this beautiful picture. So we're just going to remind ourselves about what the national quality standards and the national regulations require. And that is that all educators, whether or not we're providing food or beverages, we need to actively promote healthy eating. And there are many ways that we can do this and we will certainly unpack some of those as we go further into the presentation. But we also need to ensure that we follow our services, policies and procedures in relation to nutrition, food and beverages, dietary requirements, and also ensure that children have access to safe drinking water at all times. And I'm sure you're well aware of this and all across that. Um, and we also need to ensure that children are offered food and beverages appropriate to the needs of each child on a regular basis throughout the day. So we will probably have a brief discussion and there might be some questions later on about how do we cater for fussy eaters? We could have the best intentions by providing beautiful cooked meals. What if the children don't like the food? And we will certainly provide you with some strategies for that as well. Okay. Just keep going with the slides. So in addition, family daycare educators who provide food and beverages must ensure that the food and the beverages are nutritious and adequate in quantity. And we'll talk about that as well. We'll also need to ensure that the food and beverages is appropriate for each child's growth and developmental needs. Also taking into consideration cultural, religious or any health requirements. So as you can see, it's um, a very complex process to ensure that we provide safe and nutritious uh, meals for all children within our service. And we also need to have the weekly menu displayed appropriately and also accessible to parents and carers of children, especially um, the families of our service. And hopefully they are actually part of that consultation as well in terms of what does your child like, what do they not like, um, and obviously involving the children as well. That's really important. We also need to ensure that the weekly menu accurately describes the food and beverages that are going to be provided so that 
families know in advance exactly what is going to be provided for their children. But I would like to encourage you to take that to the next step and really talk to families about where the produce comes from. How do you actually select the meals? What's involved in that process? That could be really a big part of your program and practice as well, if it's documented correctly. Let's have a look at these beautiful lunch boxes. And because we are required to offer children food appropriate to the needs of each child on a regular basis when they are with us, we are also required to be interested in what families pack in lunch boxes. Is it nutritious? Is it enough? Is it good food? Hopefully, looking at these beautiful photos on the screen, it's something that resonates with the families of your service if they're providing lunch boxes. But I think sadly, um, we know that a, a lot of children will not have a lunchbox that looks like this. And, you know, parents might be time poor, parents are in a rush, um, you know, for many different reasons. We, we really need to take that active behaviours along, you know, the lines of what we accept, um, you know, for healthy eating for children. Okay, so let's continue on with this. So some educators believe that the best way for them is to ensure that the children get the right food is for them to be able to provide that themselves. And I'm sure that many of you that do provide meals for children probably come from that. It probably is, um, you know, more beneficial for you to have that control, if you like, um, or guidance over what children eat. So therefore, you know that the children are getting a balanced meal um, each day. And that's a really good reason um, to be able to do that. But for many, it's also a business choice and something that you need to consider. And to compete with long daycare services as well, um, many of us will need to provide food as family daycare educators. Others do it because the food we supply um, can be tax deductible, so it can be a business decision as well. Um, and again, something that you would probably need to talk to your tax agent or accountant about as well. Others do it to stop lunchbox envy um, amongst children. And I'm sure many of you can you know, relate to that, that if a child brings in, you know, something wonderful in their lunchbox, you know, other children might be like, can I try that? Can I have some? And it probably just eliminates, um, you know, the arguments over food. And also um, because they care for children who come from, you know, different backgrounds and, you know, you may want to just ensure that children have a healthy breakfast, a great start to the day, a healthy lunch, and then um, followed by afternoon snacks. And also when we're looking at, you know, different um, environments and, and we have a look at the importance of food and then we transfer that into the curriculum and we talk about cooking experiences, then, you know, what great way, what better way to actually engage with children and have them involved in the process. So it might be growing the vegetables, then it might be cooking with um, the vegetables, then it would obviously turn into afternoon tea or lunch or something like that. So the children can be really part of that process and setting up, you know, really good um, habits for them into their adult years as well. And some educators choose not to do it. And that's okay as well. This is, you know, um, there's no right or wrong, but we're just trying to unpack um, the differences. And some educators might be time poor as well and feel that it's too much extra work. Um, and they may not have full kitchen facilities available as well. So um, you may be worried about doing it safely. You may be worried about, you know, cooking. Cooking may not be something that you like doing anyway. So, you know, that that's okay as well. 
But now we actually have a video for you to watch. It's um, probably about a 20-minute presentation. It's a video with an educator who is firmly in the belief that she should provide food as an educator. So we are going to watch it. It could be a little bit controversial, but um, have a look with an open mind and um, hopefully um, we can unpack this in the question box very soon. So welcome to our first interview for PD in a Pocket tonight. And once again, I'm doing it with an educator and it's Chris Bella. Is that how I pronounce your name? Bela? Bela. Yes. Bela. My husband <laughs> is German. So, Who's from Young in New South Wales. So, Chris, just before we start, can I ask how long you've been an educator for? Um, I haven't been doing it for that long. I've only been doing it for eight years. Only eight years. Uh, <laughs> We've got Rosie that's uh, slightly older than me and has been doing it all her working life. So, oh, know, wow. <laughs> 35, 40 years, something like that, that she's been doing it. So, I feel like a real tiddler. <laughs> a baby in the scene. Yes. Okay. So, I understand that you provide all the food to everyone that you care for. Yeah. Is that right? I don't do uh, formula, baby yep. formula. Um, but yeah, aside from that, all the, the, I provide the water. I use a um, a drinker, which I just got from Bunnings, like for fifteen dollars or something, um, and that has boiled water in it. Because I live in rural New South Wales, uh, we had at one point we had no one in the service that lived in town, and various children would get the runs from drinking town uh -huh. water. So it's always boiled water, and I keep two jugs of boiled water in the fridge to back up. The handy thing about that is it's all it, it's already boiled, uh, ready for baby bottles if I need it for that. Okay, but you don't do formula, yeah? I, I don't provide parents. the formula. I make the formula up. Right, but you won't provide it. Yep. Because okay. the parents can change it or yep. whatever at their discretion, and then yep. they're knowing exactly where it is. So. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, they usually just give me a tin of formula. But you cook lunches. You I do. Cook, we do breakfast sometimes. We do fruit break. We'll do that. That's around say ten, so it can be any time from nine thirty to eleven thirty. But you know, usually around ten. Yep. And then we'll do lunch. I usually do lunch a bit late because then they're hungry and they eat. Um, and then we'll do afternoon tea. And then if they're if they're still hungry, and I have a couple of kids here that are late. They may have something around the five o'clock mark as well. Right. So, okay. Yes. I and so why, given that you don't have to as an educator provide food and lots of educators don't, what made you decide to actually, you know, do the provision of food? There was a number of different reasons. When I first started, um, I had children that arrived here that had had Tic Tac mints for breakfast and, um, yeah, and, Parent, it's really hard parenting now, and there's a lot of stresses on parents. If they can relax and know that the children are eating healthy while they're here, that's great. They, they're going to have to do lunch boxes from when they start kindy to when they finish high school. So why do you have to have a lunch box already? You know, let's make things a little easier for the parents, a bit more interesting for the children. It provides me with a tax deduction. And I live alone. So um, since I live alone, tonight I'm having um, tortellini. 
Uh, Let me guess, did you give that tortellini to the children today for lunch? (laughs) Yes, yes, and I was lucky to get any back. (laughs) So people don't like doing food because of the waste, but it's the way you handle it. Right. Right. So do you charge more because you're providing food? No. And also there's there's another part to it too is that you've got to be competitive and all of the childcare centres here provide food. Right, so you think that it helps so, to get managed with? I'm I'm doing the same thing as the other childcare. The only it's only the preschool that doesn't. My grocery bill is like eighty percent tax deductible. Um, good, and that also includes anything you buy for cooking, uh, and the electricity you're using for cooking, or the gas you're using for cooking. Right, that's all tax deductible. Um, then on top of that, I know the kids are not eating a sugar-filled snack right through the day. What they're getting is healthy. Yep. And the other part of that is that no one's getting jealous because they're all eating the same thing. And it's have you done the it like this jealousy. you started as an educator or, or did you yeah, start always done it. You've always yeah. done it. Yep. Okay. I like the idea that they're not eating sugar-filled snacks because it means you're not having to deal with the behaviour that can often come from that. Yeah. We do have some. Look, it's not all total health foods. And depending on how I go with allergies, because we all know in this business you're always changing your client base. They grow up, they go to school. Um, When you have allergy children, um or other issues, you um, may not be able to buy. Like I've been through stages where I've had to cook everything myself. At the moment, we've got a boy that's just going to preschool and he's learning how to, and he's about to start school next year and he's learning how to open packets. So we do a lot of little open packets. So that's a commercial thing. And it's the same thing yep. as what he's eating at home. So, yep. And so do you cook, you know, everything from scratch? Do you cook once no. a week? Do you cook um, as you go or do you cook while the children are there? It varies. Mostly I cook while the kids are there. Right. It's not really that big a drama and it's the same sort of thing that they would normally be going through with at the parental home or with the grandparents or whatever. So, yeah, except parents and grandparents don't have four children there while they're trying to... Yeah, you didn't live at my parents' place. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not that hard, honestly. When you but get, what do, how when do you get into a routine? What do you do? Like if you're if you're going to cook lunch, do you just make sure they've got other activities they're engaged yes. in? Either they've got another activity to engage in or they will join me and help make lunch. So talk to me about them helping you. How do you okay. manage? To First do thing that? you do is wash the hands. They get up uh, at my bench and they'll stand on chairs. Um, so, and different chairs according to their height, so that they're relatively similar height. Um, sometimes they'll use um, knives, dinner knives or, or butter knives to cut up things. Yeah. And, you know, it might be just capsicum, it might be tomato, it might be just cheese, but they're getting a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. They're doing, they're doing, um, a hand strengthening activity. I had a little girl come through here. She was only a casual, didn't come here regularly, so I was very hamstrung in what I could do with her. And when she started school, she had a lot of trouble with hand strength. 
she spent an awful lot of time on computers at home. Right. Okay. So since then, it, because I, because we're family daycare, because we're so connected with our families, we we have better opportunity for feedback, and we have more control than anybody else. Yeah. So. Because I've had that, I do a lot more hand strengthening exercises than I used to. Um, okay. So that part of that is the cutting, cutting veggies, cutting fruit for our fruit break. They're going to get a piece of fruit for their fruit break from, you know, kindy to year 12. So we rarely do that here. What we usually do is that we will have three or four pieces of fruit that we cut up. Depending on how many kids, there'll be at least a piece of fruit per child, sometimes a bit extra if it's only small. Cut it all up, and um, then we'll have it in um, a fruit cone, which is like an ice cream cone. But instead of filled with ice cream, it's filled with fruit. Fruit oh, salad, what a great idea! <laughs> and yogurt on top. So That's great. Yeah, they think it's a bee's knees. Um, and we take that outside and sit sit in the sun sometimes and eat it. In winter, in summer we'll go outside and sit in the shade. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we also do fruit kebabs. Yep. Um, and we'll, they can make their own. I've got fancy parfait glasses for them too, just to give right. it a bit of a pizzazz. Excitement. It, yep. It encourages them to eat. What about allergies? Allergies, I've only just finished up a peanut allergy. Uh, so that was that was fairly intense because she had more than just the peanut allergy. She was very touchy on a lot of foods. So it was going through and reading all the biscuit packets because you've got to keep them as close to normal as possible. Otherwise, it's not fair on the children. Yep. And so did you make your entire house peanut-free? Yes. Yeah. But it's only four kids. It's only five no, kids. But, but, like, did you have peanut yes. butter in we the have, house? Um, I have wow butter. Right, so. which is? Which is made from roasted soy, right? And you can get okay. it from Woolies, so it's not it's not a big drama, right? Um, okay. I put a note on the. I talked to all of the parents here, so they knew what was going on. Yep. And I put a sign on the um, front gate because yep. uh, this child was casual; they yep. weren't there all the time. So I would have a sign on the front gate saying, "Nut free day today." Please yep, tell sure. me. If Please tell me straight away if they've eaten peanuts. Yep, sure. I even sent home some wow butter because I managed to get it on a really good special. <laughs> it, was, it was like reduced it, because no one was buying it, you know, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I managed to send get enough so that I could send home some with the biggest peanut butter lover. <laughs> so he just had wow butter instead of peanut butter. And honestly, you can't taste the difference. So talk to me about food safety. Are you ever scared of probably yes. not with your background of being a trainer or maybe more? No, it is, it is something you keep in mind all the time. Um, because of the background of having actually taught food safety, I understand HACCP, which is Hazard Analysis Critical Control Points, which is really it's just risk assessments for food. Right. We have to do okay. risk assessments whenever they're playing with anything. Whenever yep. we go anywhere, it's the same thing with food. And we're all doing it because if you've got lunch boxes, you're doing a, a risk assessment on if that food is going to be bad before they eat yep. it. Yep. Same thing. When I go shopping, I make sure I don't stop somewhere on the way home 
you know, and you use the proper bags and you always make sure you've got something frozen in so that it acts as an ice brick. Yep, There's lots sure. of different points to it, but it's mostly logical. Yep. And do you do food safety training on a regular yes. basis? Um, how would you do that? The service that I work for, Country Children's Early Learning, yep. uh, they have a good food safety program right at the start so that I got trained in that before I did anything. So talk to me about what mealtime looks like at your place because I can imagine, you know, a mealtime when people open up uh, lunch boxes is quite different than a mealtime when you're preparing. I don't think it would be that different. No? We work like a unit most of the time. Um, the, the younger ones, it's a bit harder. You know, you can't get the four-month-old to really understand. <laughs> but um, it's, it's not normally much of a hassle. Uh, you'll say something, you warn them beforehand a couple of times that you're going to go in and have lunch, right? So then everybody comes in. Um, we'll, if, that's if we've been outside or we'll come in. Usually we'll be outside. We'll come in and they'll be doing an activity while I finish up lunch, right? Um, sometimes they'll go wash their hands straight away so they can help me prepare prepare yeah. lunch. Uh, one person gets to be designated as waiter so that oh. they can put the plates on the table. Yeah. Another person sometimes gets designated as knife and fork person. Yep. So because that way it's just evened out. Uh, everybody gets their own drink. We're all colour coordinated for plates, knives and forks and cups. They all get their own drink except for the two-year-old who's not quite up to it yet. She's only just started drinking at it. She's not quite two yet. Um, they'll sit at the table. If they're hungry and um, a bit rambunctious waiting for their lunch to get finished up, I'll give them a slice of cheese each. Works mm-hmm. wonders. Yep. And with the... Horrible plastic cheese. Um, that's another hand exercise because I only open it as far as they need me to open it, usually right. not quite as far as they need me to open it. So they've <laughs> got to work at it a little more, and that slows them down, gives them something to do, and then we'll sing songs while, they, while they're at the table. Yep. Um, my um, coordinator got me onto a um, mindfulness exercise while we're reading, we'll often say, you know, and what was your favourite part of the day? And that'll go around the table. You can't yep. say it yourself. You've got to ask someone else first. Yeah, okay. It's hilarious because the one that really wants to spill everything has to ask other people. It keeps waiting for <laughs> to ask them, you know. Um, yeah, so we'll sit at the table. Sometimes we'll have, if it's, a, if sometimes we'll make, you make your own. So it'll be a big, a long tray with nippers and they'll go through and put their own stuff on their sandwich or burger or whatever they're having or pizza and then stick it in the oven. Um, Sometimes we'll just sit down. But, yeah, it's all quite – it works quite well. And because the other children are eating and they're eating the same thing, it helps the picky eaters to eat. Yeah, for sure. I will will still resort to aeroplanes and choo-choo trains in the tunnel. (laughs) But it does help. And you have to be realistic about how much they eat. Some and children... what would you say your current current group's favourite meals that you cook are? 
Um, pasta is always a favourite. Uh, pizza, they love pizza. And if you call anything meat lovers, because they hear that on the TV, they think that's amazing. You can you know? see that you're very adaptable to what they want and, yeah, you don't have preconceived ideas of what you want to cook for them. So, so, that's the- so look, the preconceived ideas is that I need, in the morning they need to have fruit. Yep. Yogurt is not necessary if they eat cheese or milk later on, right? So, you, you, so they need the fruit, they need the dairy, they need the carbs, they need the veggies. They need the protein. That's my preconceived idea. That sounds that like a pretty good diet to me. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they love tomatoes. They love cucumber. They okay. Love so can I just ask you, if you had one piece of advice for other educators who currently aren't cooking, um, what do you think that the main thing that you get out of doing the food for them is? It's a fun activity. It's so nice sitting around the table together. I have never had so many compliments on my food. Mostly they're from, you know. They haven't had a lot of food in their lives yet. (laughs) My husband only ever complained about it, so I'm just in seven heaven. But you do, I keep meals simple. Chris, thank you so much for sharing, um, you know, how you're working at it, your family daycare with us. You know, I think that it's always good for us to talk to different educators about the different ways that we do things because everyone does it so different. You might think, yes. you know, this is normal, and then someone says, no, I've never cooked a meal with children. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's each yeah. to their own and everybody has their different strengths. We are sure. so, so lucky. We are the elite because we're working. It, when I did my training at a childcare centre, I looked. I was already working, and I looked at what they were doing, and <clears throat> they were jumping through hoops to try and get it down so that the numbers were only, you know, so that they could actually get a small number of children with the ed, with the particular educator and do a science experiment or something. Right? Yeah. Did that all the time. Yeah. Their, their premium ratio is ours normal. <laughs> For sure. You know? And, yep. and our connection with the families is just so strong. Actually, one of the mums here today had to pick up a child and take them for immunisation. And I knew she didn't have time for lunch, so I threw a, ch- a cup of soup when I grabbed the child back off her. So- oh, <laughs> isn't that nice? <laughs> oh, they're lovely people, they're very lovely. And I'm sure they love having you as an educator. So thank you very much for talking to us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope I encourage more to try it at least. So now we're going to have a look at nutrition for children. And we're just going to read some statistics. So Healthy Eating for Children, this is a really, really good resource and something that I would really encourage you to share with your families. Um, Down the bottom, it's actually got the website that you can go to, which is www.eatforhealth.gov.au. So you can jump on there and actually um, download this resource and, again, share it with your families as well. Oops. Okay, so let's have a look at some of the statistics here. 
So what we know is the Australian Dietary Guidelines provide up-to-date advice about the amount and kinds of foods that we need to eat for healthy and well-being for us. They are also based on scientific evidence and research and the Australian dietary requirements of most relevance to children are up on the screen and we are just going to run through them. So there's different guidelines. So we will have a look at those. So guideline one, to achieve and maintain a healthy weight and be physically active and choose amounts of nutritious food and drinks to meet your energy needs, children and adolescents should eat sufficient nutritious foods to grow and develop normally. They should be physically active every single day, and that's where we come in as educators, to play a role in their growth and also, um, you know, providing this information to families as well. Guideline number two, enjoy a wide variety of nutritious foods from the five food groups every single day. So what we want to do for children is provide them with plenty of vegetables and different types of vegetables. So different colours, different textures, um, legumes, beans, fruits, grains, cereals, mostly whole grain and or high cereal fibre varieties such as breads, cereals, pasta, noodles, polenta, couscous, oats, quinoa and barley. Also, we want to include lean meats and poultry, fish, eggs, tofu, nuts and seeds, and also legumes and beans. Then we want to have a look at some of the dairy products as well, and they actually include milk, yogurt, cheese, and their alternatives, and mostly reduced fat. And it's important to mention as well that re reduced fat milks are not suitable for children under the age of two years, and we really want children to be encouraged to drink plenty of water. So in some of those foods that I did read out, obviously, the first thing that's probably going to come to mind is you have children that have intolerances or allergies to that. So obviously we're just talking in general for children that can eat a well-balanced diet. But again, this is where it's really important to have those conversations with your families and really unpack what is healthy and suitable for each individual child when they come into your service. Then we want to have a look at guideline number three, and we want to just limit the intake of foods that are high in saturated fats, a bit like the photo that we first looked at with lots of biscuits and chips and all of those yummy foods, but they're actually really unhealthy. So we don't want to encourage children to eat lots of cakes, biscuits, pastries, pies, processed meats, commercial burgers, pizza, fried foods, potato chips or crisps or any other savoury snacks. But we, what we do want to do is we want to replace the high fat foods with um predominantly saturated fats such as butter, cream, cooking margarine, coconut, um, coconut milk or palm oil, things like that. And also we really want to limit the amount of fat that is in um, children's diet. We also want to limit the intake of foods that have extra salt because that's not good for children as well and not good for their teeth or their bones. And we want to read lots of labels when we're choosing food for children, especially if we're providing the food. And we really want to steer clear of any foods that contain lots of sugars, such as confectionery, um, sugar sweet, um, sweetened foods or drinks or cordials or things like fruit drinks as well. But again, it, it really comes down to discussing this with your families, outlining your expectations and really guiding the practice of the families prior to them starting in care with your service. So then they really understand what um, they can expect from the nutritious meals that you're going to be providing for the children. 
So let's have a look at the next slide. Um, so we're just going to have a look at the serving sizes because I think it's really important. Um, and again, it's from the same website, the www.eatforhealth.gov.au. Again, you can get these um, fantastic resources, have them displayed, share them with your families um, and really read up and research when you're providing um, portion sizes for children. So let's have a look. We're just going to run through some serving sizes for vegetables and cereal foods. So children between the ages of two to three years need to have 2.5 servings of vegetables per day. And children four to eight years old need to have four and a half servings as well. So how big is a serving? Let's break this down a little bit. So let's say half a cup of vegetables like carrots um, and also half a medium-sized potato or a cup of lettuce is considered um, the dietary requirements. So let's say that you have a three-year-old in your family daycare service. In their entire day, they need to have about, and this is approximate, one and a quarter cups of mixed vegetables as they are at your family daycare for up to 50% of their day, you would try and make sure that they got about half of that. So at least about three quarters of a cup of vegetables. And I mean, it doesn't need to be in a cup. It can be presented to children on a nice platter or, you know, on a plate or something like that. But they do need to have four servings of grain foods every day. And that equals let's say about four slices of bread or three slices of bread and half a cup of cooked rice. So you can really balance that out if you're providing meals. Um, consider having rice or pasta um, to make up um, for the bread. And they also need to have half of that in family daycare. So that would equal about two slices of bread or one slice of bread and half a cup of cooked pasta. So as you can see from the chart, that children also need to have... Um, fruit and proteins and things like milk, yogurt, cheese, soy or rice milk. Again, it does depend on the children and obviously if they have any allergies or intolerances. Um, and again, I just really encourage you to go to the website www.eatforhealth.gov.au so that you can actually download this poster and as we said, share it with our families. Let's have a look at this picture. So we talked a little bit in the beginning about fussy eaters. So what if you have the best intentions, you cook the best beautiful meals, and then the children decide that they don't want to eat it. So sometimes fussy eaters need some help to try new foods um, or to even eat them at all. So what tricks do you have to make fussy eaters eat? Um, so I would like you to just sort of stop for a moment and just reflect on this. You may have had children already in your service. Um, you may have had to talk to some families about, um, you know, the types of food that children eat at home and how fussy they are. But just think of some strategies. And if you could put them in the chat box, that would be fantastic as well. If you've got any um, fantastic ideas that you could share with the rest of us. But recommendations that I would actually suggest would be to sit down as a, a group, um, role model the behaviour as well. If you're sitting there eating the meal as well and so are their peers, children are probably more likely to try it. And I think if they're involved in the process of you know, especially even if you're fortunate enough to grow some of your fresh produce or food, then the children are probably more inclined to want to eat that food when they're part of the process. So really um, think about ways that you can actually do that. And again, share these ideas with families and talk to children. Ask them if 
um, you know, it is age appropriate to actually talk to children about, you know, how does that taste? What do you like about this? What don't you like about this? And really engage them in part of the learning process as well. Okay, so where to get some ideas from? So if you are cooking for children, where can you get ideas from for foods to serve? There's some great websites on here that I really encourage you to um, jump on the website and have a look for ideas and suggestions. I'll just go through some of the websites that I think that are useful, um, particularly probably the first one because it is about planning um, inside for family daycare and that's obviously going to be appropriate for many of you, but also, um, you know, looking at the healthnewsouthwales.gov.au and also many of you would be familiar with the Munch and Move program as well. So they provide lots of really good resources, resources that you can share with your families and, um, you know, obviously use within your program and curriculum as well. So hopefully there's some really good ideas there of where to get started for food ideas. Now we're going to have a look at what to leave off the menu. So discretionary choices. There are some foods and drinks which are not necessary for a nutritious diet, and these are known as discretionary choices. So this actually refers to foods that are high in saturated fat, salt, and or added sugar, and also low in fiber. So we really want to try and keep these off the menu as much as we possibly can if we're providing the food. If you have children bringing lunch boxes in. Again, it is about educating the parents about expectations, having conversations with families, talking to them about the importance of why we need to leave these foods off the menu. And hopefully from some of the previous websites, you'll get some information um, to support what you're telling families. But we want to steer clear from lollies, chocolates, chips, cakes, biscuits, ice cream, fried foods and sugary drinks. Given that many of us eat these foods, why are they not to be served in family daycare? So it's really important that we have a look at this. And basically for two to three year olds in Australia, one third of their daily energy intake comes from discretionary foods like biscuits, um, chips and all the other yummy foods that um, we want to steer clear of. But this really is worrying because regularly consuming these items can actually increase the risk of dental care, weight gain and diet related conditions later on in life for children. So we really want to be the voice and um, role models for children about why we need to steer clear of them. And again, involve them as part of the learning process. We don't just want to say to children, you can't have this, but why can't you have it? And really do some research and development and involve children in the learning process for that as well. And if children bring a lunchbox to your service, it's, again, important to educate families on the types of nutritious foods. Um, and, you know, you can always say to them, look, that might be you know, a sometimes food that you might be able to have on a special occasion at home. But again, involving the family so that you're really working together as a team and um, it's really a united front. Um, the children are hearing the messages both at home and within your service. Okay, so the next slide is looking at healthy lunchbox ideas. And again, this would be a really good resource and tool to share with families. It's bright, it's colourful, it's inviting, um, you know, definitely provide something like this for your families. It might even be useful to put this in your initial welcome pack to families. Again, we want to set those expectations, you know, quite early on in, um, you know, the relationship with families so that expectations um, can be met. 
If you Google healthy lunchbox ideas, you can find lots of different posters that you can share with families. But we need to remind ourselves that New South Wales Health says that a healthy lunchbox should have fruit, vegetables, dairy, whole grains and lean meat and meat alternatives. So again, it comes down to taste. It comes down to um allergic reactions, it comes down to intolerances. But I think if um, you are providing this and, and you know, you stick to these guidelines and educate families, then um, we're actually going to be providing the daily dietary requirements. Okay. Let's go to the interesting part, food as part of the curriculum. So as educators, it is also important to recognise that we need to teach children about food. And this is where it's really exciting to be an educator because we do play such a huge role in guiding children's behaviour, but also encouraging them to learn about foods and why it's important. So this is where we can actually put you know, food into practice where it starts from, you know, growing seeds with children, turning that into food, putting that into a cooking activity and then eating the, the food that we make and being part of that whole journey. Um, it's really exciting. So let's have a look at this. So eat your fruits and veggies and drink water. So we need to teach children to eat food that sustains their bodies and what the food is for. And again, I can't stress enough that this is where we would actually involve the children in the learning process. It's one thing to show children and say, this is what we need to eat, but why do we need to eat it? So we can look at dental care. We can look at um, you know, healthy bodies and, you know, what that does for, for us if we're eating correct foods. Um, getting children as part of the learning process so they can investigate, research, hypothesize and really, um, you know, showcase what they know about food. And hopefully we can set up some really good um, things for life for children to be able to follow. Okay, so munch and move. So many of you would have done some munch and move training um, or you would actually be familiar with the Get Up and Grow program. If you aren't familiar with that, I really encourage you to contact New South Wales government and really, um, you know, reach out for some resources. The resources from both these programs are still online and still available for family daycare educators to access. And the Munch and Move program has many ideas for introducing healthy eating concepts into what you do with children. We will give you the link as well on the Facebook group um, following this session. So I really encourage you to jump online. As you can see on the right-hand side, there is a family book available. So a great resource that you can share with your families and take some information out of that as well. Pop it in newsletters, simplify it, make it into posters, have children involved in that process as well and really get the message out there about healthy eating. Okay, let's have a look at this fantastic picture. So we just need to remind ourselves that we teach children about sharing and turn-taking when we give food. So as we spoke about before, food can be, you know, a really great resource for your curriculum. So, you know, lots of conversations. We can talk about colours. We can talk about shapes. We can talk about numbers, how many carrot sticks are on the plate, um, even involving the children in, you know, creating something um, you know, with carrot sticks or, you know, cheese, sultanas, wh whatever um, healthy foods you have available. And, um, you know, they're probably more likely to um, eat them when they've been part of that process as well. Okay, so let's have a look at the next slide. 
I love this picture. Um, and also we need to remember the younger children that are within our family daycare services as well. So it's really important that we not only talk to older children that can be involved in the learning process, but babies as well. So we need to teach babies a million different things as we give them food. And this um, includes opening their mouth, role modeling our behavior, again, having those rich conversations with children, um, even, you know, babies talking about the texture of food. How does that taste for you? Is it soft? Is it hard? Is it cold? Um, you know, really involve them in part of the learning. They may not be able to verbally respond, but I think it's just a beautiful way for an educator to engage with the children about the types of foods that they're eating. Okay, I love this next picture. Um, again, involving children as part of the learning process. And food does provide us with many ways that we can incorporate science into what we are teaching. So growing vegetables and the science of cooking, make sure that you ask children to um, let them know what your sorry, what their predictions are. And we call that hypothesizing. And so what will happen when you add heat to raw eggs? What do you think would happen? What happens when you put butter in a fry pan? And why would it turn from a solid to a liquid? Why do so many foods um, go brown when you cook them? So really involving the children as part of that process and documenting this. You can put it into your program. You can talk to the families and share those ideas and say, today we did a science experiment and we grew this or, you know, the children were part of this process and then we turned it into lunch or afternoon tea or morning tea. So again, engaging with families and really making them part of the process as well. Okay, let's look at this beautiful picture. So when we're cooking with children, it does provide a, a wonderful opportunity to help children learn about maths and maths language. So really use this opportunity to engage children with language and literacy as well. And how better to learn the phrases such as more than, less than, let's weigh this, what, what is heavier, what is lighter. You can really help children to learn lots of new words and concepts through discussion while you are cooking. Show children what a recipe is and that you need to follow instructions in order to achieve the required result. So again, having children writing shopping lists, planning meals with children, really involving them as part of that learning process is such a fantastic way to not only deal with, um, you know, encouraging children to eat healthy food, but also to be part of the whole process about the importance of food and where it comes from. We can also help children to learn lots and lots of new words and concepts through discussion while we're cooking. And cooking is, you know, really relaxing and a really nice way for other children to engage and socialise together. Um, and also there are some great recipes for school-aged children and many of you who probably have school-aged children are familiar with, you know, the autonomy that children can have over preparing their own meals and doing small amounts of cooking that obviously is safe and follows policy and procedure. Um, but also um, there's a really good website as well that I would recommend that you go to and it is www.kidspot.com au forward slash kitchen recipes collections and forward slash cooking with kids we will put this on the facebook page as well so um don't worry if you weren't able to get that down but there are lots and lots of websites out there that would be you know really useful for you as an educator um, to be able to get resources from and again we'll pop that in the facebook group okay let's unpack this photo lots of color 
Um, obviously, coloured spaghetti, it's very sensory, but we really need to have a discussion about this because there has long been discussion in the education and care sector about whether it's okay to use food as a sensory activity or in craft. Should we make pasta necklaces or should we be allowing babies to squish rice or spaghetti through their fingers? It seems that after um, critical reflection, most educators and teachers have chosen not to use food in this way, given that food can sometimes be in short supply and for many people in the world, and it's kind of a level of respect that we should not be using it for anything other than eating. But as early childhood educators and critical thinkers, I really want you to just spend a moment or two to just sit down and think about your philosophy philosophy about food with children and what do you think? If you were to use food in a play or craft activity, is it something that you should critically reflect upon? And where where did um, this idea stem from? And, um, you know, where is it going to go? And where does this leave things like Play-Doh? Should we be using clay instead of Play-Doh made of flour? So a little bit controversial and um, you will get to watch the video that we weren't able to watch. And some of the information that I've just talked about is going to be in there as well. So just have a moment just to sit and reflect and think about um, what your relationship is with food and how you feel as an early childhood educator about children exploring food, just like in this photo. Okay, let's have a look at some food safe practices. Okay, oops, sorry, I've just lost this. Okay, so food safe practices, let's have a look at this. So do we keep it cold? Let's just have a look at this. So we're going to talk about temperatures. So I really want you to have a look at this. Um, so we've got the hot food zone. So when bacteria is destroyed, we're looking at around about 100 degrees Celsius. When we start going down the thermometer here, we're talking about temperature and danger zone, and we're talking at about 60 degrees Celsius. So um, bacteria can actually grow quite quickly. So then we move down into the cold zone and we're sitting at zero degrees, obviously. And we're looking at um, bacteria not growing at around about minus 10. So that's when we're talking about frozen foods. So really important to have a look at that and unpack what that looks like for you in terms of if you're providing the food, are you aware of these um, temperatures and how do we educate ourselves if we are providing food? Okay, so let's just go back to this. Okay, keeping it clean. So I'm just going to skip down just a little bit further so that I can get my thing back. So what we need to do as early childhood educators, obviously we need to encourage children to follow our practices as well, but we really need to wash and dry our hands thoroughly before starting to prepare any food. Obviously we're living in a COVID world now, so we really need to take on, um, you know, these COVID safe practices as well. But long before COVID, we were always looking at um, healthy hygiene practices and that hasn't changed. So even if we are preparing a snack for children, so we may not be preparing a full meal, we really need to be encouraged to make sure that our hands are clean. We need to keep 
um, benches, kitchen equipment and tableware clean and dry. We also need to be mindful not to allow raw meat juices to drip onto other foods or onto food preparation areas as well. And we need to separate raw and cooked food and make sure that we use different cutting boards and knives um, for both and also avoid making food for others if we're sick. So if we have a contagious illness, such as, you know, diarrhea or vomiting, I mean, chances are we're not going to be working anyway, but we really need to make sure that, um, you know, if you are unwell, you are not preparing food for children. Let's have a look at this picture. I'm sure it resonates with everybody. Um, we're just going to have a look here at the difference between cleaning and sanitising. I think it's really important when we're talking about food preparation areas and preparing food for our family daycare children. Cleaning requires the use of warm water and hot water as well, detergent and physical action to actually remove food debris and dissolve grease and dirt to ensure that the surfaces are clean to touch and free of any visible matter or any odours. So sanitising though is the process of applying heat. So usually we want to use very hot water or chemicals, um, obviously um, child safe, and a combination of both heat and chemicals to an already clean surface to reduce the number of bacteria and other organisms to a safe level. So um, hopefully these practices are already in place for you, whether you provide food or not. But I think it's really important, um, you know, to remind ourselves about the importance of this. And especially because we are family daycare um, early childhood educators, we do share the home with our family members as well. So it's really important that if we have, um, you know, our own children preparing things in the kitchen that the bench is wiped down, that it's clean or partners or other family members, you know, just making sure that that food preparation area is safe. And why do we have to do more cleaning than we would if it's just our family or ourselves? Because some people are more at risk of getting food poisoning or any foodborne illnesses than others. And this includes children, especially children that are under the age of five years old. Because of this, we need to take special care when buying and storing and preparing food for children in our care and obviously also cleaning. And that's not just the play space, but obviously food preparation areas as well. We need to also be reminded that food poisoning can happen when we eat or drink contaminated foods um, or drinks. And it's estimated that 4.1 million Australians are impacted by food poisoning each year, according to New South Wales um, food authorities. So it really is scary when you look at those numbers and we don't want to be responsible for that. So we really need to make sure that we are providing, um, you know, really good hygiene practices and safe food handling um, areas for children. Okay, let's have a look at this. I'm sure this resonates with some of you as well. <laughs> um, and yes, we all can probably, um, you know, resonate with this, that it's not always easy. So as an educator, if we are providing food, we need to be organised and prepared. We need to have clean spaces. We need to have organised um, systems of how we're going to cook and store and prepare the food. Um, but I'm sure this resonates with you that sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming. And that might be why some educators actually choose to not provide the meals. Um, and that's okay as well. Keep it hot. Okay, so we're just going to have a look at some of the um, statistics again about keeping food hot and what the safe levels are, just to remind ourselves. But we need to um, cook foods at least 
up to 60 degrees or hotter for some specific foods. If we're reheating food, then it does need to be at least at 60 degrees or until it is steaming hot. We need to make sure there is no pink left inside cooked meat, such such as mince or sausages. And we need to look for clear juices before serving any chicken. And especially if you are cooking with chicken to make sure that it is cooked all the way through. And you might need to um, test that um, before you serve it to children. And also heat to boiling um, or marinades containing raw meat juices before you serve them. And of course, we need to cool foods down before we give them to children. So we need to just bear that in mind. Okay, this photo is great. Let's have a look at this. Um, also, if we have made food or prepared food the night before and we're reheating it or warming it, warming food does not get food above the temperature where bacteria is killed. So we really need to make sure that, um, you know, when we're reheating food, it is warmed all the way through. We don't want to um, have it underdone. Um, or still cold in some parts. So mixing it, moving the food around, um, you know, that kind of thing will actually help us. Check the label. So this is really important as well. So we don't want to eat food past a use-by date, particularly if we are providing that for family daycare children. I guess what you choose to do in your own home is something that you choose to do. Um, and depending on how old you are, you may have grown up with, um, you know, your own family saying it's fine it's just a recommendation but when when we're actually preparing food for family daycare children and we have that responsibility we really want to make sure that we are sticking to the use by date and going through and doing like a little bit of a cull every now and then for foods that might sit there for a little bit so we need to note um, a best before date we need to follow storage and cooking instructions and we also need to be allergy aware as well really important and also we need to ask for information about unpackaged foods as well and share this information with your families as well. Make them part of the process. Um, if you have children that have allergies or intolerances, talk to um, families about what sort of brand food that they can have and you might want to incorporate that into your menus so that everybody is um, able to have the same food. Best before, as we said, most of us probably check the labels as a bit of a habit, but we need to do it always when prepare, preparing food for children. The two main things to be aware of, both at the time of purchasing and when you are going to use them with children, are the best before dates and any allergen information as well. So again, we, we want to do that with families and involve them in that process. Okay, so importantly, on the next slide, it is about the regs and the national quality standards and what do they require. So let's unpack this a little bit more just to remind ourselves about why we're doing what we're doing when we're providing food. So the learning frameworks, good nutrition is essential to healthy living and it also enables children to be active participants in play. Early childhood settings provide many opportunities for children to experience a range of healthy foods and to learn about food choices from educators and other children. So it also tells us that good nutrition is essential to healthy living. And this is the message that we want to get out to children and families because we want them to be active participants in play. Early childhood settings provide many opportunities for children to experience a range of healthy foods. And um, as we said before, it's a really important part of your curriculum. So the regulations. 
So the regs actually put specific requirements on us and many of you would be quite familiar with this, but I think it's really important to revisit these. So the regs require the family daycare service that we are registered with and us as educators too. Regulation number 77, implement adequate health and hygiene practices. And I think we've covered a lot of that in photos and discussions. Um, it's really important as well for safe practices for handling, preparing and storing food to minimise risks to children being educated and cared for. Regulation number 78 refers to ensuring that children being educated and cared for have access to safe drinking water at all times. And I'm sure many of you do this very well, whether you have water stations or you have a basket of the children's, um, you know, drink bottles or, um, you know, other methods you might actually have um, cups, reusable cups that children can um, serve themselves. It's really important that you have this on hand at all times and that children are offered food and beverages on a regular basis. So even when we were talking about children who might be particularly fussy, always having food available for the children to, you know, come and eat, um, you know, when they would like to do that. And again, unpacking that with families about, you know, how much food they would be eating at home and what sorts of foods that children like. Regulation number 79, ensure that where you provide food for children, it must be nutritious, adequate in quantity. So making sure that we have enough and also um, chosen having regard to the dietary requirements of individual children, taking into account each individual child's growth and development needs and also any specific cultural, religious or health requirements as well. We really need to um, remind ourselves of that. And finally, number 80 is actually ensuring where you provide food for the children. You must display that weekly menu where families can see it. And also this menu must accurately describe the food and beverages that you will provide each day. This would be a really good space for you to have photos of discussions with families, discussions with children, being part of the process, that would really actually add weight to it being um, a collaborative approach rather than you just coming up with a menu that you've um, decided would be great for children. But really showing that level of engagement um, is really important to remember as well. Okay. Now we're going to have a look at the quality areas just to remind ourselves of this. So quality areas two and three of the national quality standards. So parts of quality area two, standard 2.1 health and quality area three do require us as early childhood educators to provide children with healthy food and prepare it, store it and serve it in environments that are safe for food preparation and storage. And we need to be reminded that element 2.1.3 requires that healthy eating and physical activity are promoted and appropriate for each child. Element 3.1.1 demands that our environments are fit for purpose and element 3.1.2 demands that they are well upkept. So I think it's really important to not only read out the elements and look at the quality areas, but involve families in that as well. How do we provide information? This is probably where we go into critical reflection, but as educators, how do we actually explain this to parents as to why we are providing or, or why we need to provide healthy options for children. 
So, you know, maybe putting some of these um, points into your newsletters or putting it on your Facebook page or however else you communicate with families, but really explaining to them that, you know, element 2.1.3 does require that healthy eating and physical activity is promoted and it's appropriate for each child. But taking it to the next level is how can families do this as well? Um, Because we want to educate them to be part of the process. Food allergies and anaphylaxis risk management. So as we covered um, the last topic, I expect everyone is probably all over um, the standards and the elements. But as educators, we also have to keep in mind and be informed and implement current practices and guidelines from recognised authorities in relation to allergies and anaphylaxis. All educators must have their anaphylaxis management training, which is current. It's non-negotiable and that's just something as educators that we need to do Um, and even more so if we're providing food. Food allergies um, does definitely seem to be coming more common as a family daycare educator as we are all likely to have children in some capacity that have a food allergy in care with you at in sorry, in care with you at some stage. And children are dependent on us to provide a safe environment, including the provision of safe food as well. So again, good communication with families, really asking what the um, limits are, what the expectations are, how can you actually avoid, um, you know, giving children food that could actually pose a potential risk. Again, it just comes down to really good communication and conversations and involving families in part of your menu planning, or even if you're not menu planning, lunchbox ideas, um, because children could develop allergies. Um, you know, they, they may have already been in your service for a little while and then all of a sudden develop an allergy. So really important to keep that in mind. Now we're going to have a look at some common food allergens. It's important to have a look at this. So food allergens in children can be due to peanuts or other tree nuts. So there are many children that are actually allergic to Brazil, cashew nuts, hazelnuts, almonds, fish, shellfish, eggs, wheat, milk, milk products, soy, seeds, and other fruits. So um, there could be a wide variety of um, things that could cause an allergen for children. And food allergies are more common in children under five years of age than in older children, as some young children may grow out of food allergies as they get older. And, you know, that that's really hopeful, but we need to be mindful of this. So you may actually have signs that you have displayed in your service that say this is, um, you know, um, an area where we actually don't encourage Some of these like milk, eggs, nuts, wheat, things like that. Um, Again, it's about educating your families and really working with families about that. Okay, so peanut allergies tend to be most likely um, allergy at the moment, which could actually cause anaphylaxis. And so you may have children that actually require an EpiPen. So making sure that you have really good um, risk minimization plans, you have copies of any action plans, you have photos displayed of children um, so that, um, you know, other people are aware, other parents, it could be staff that are coming into your service are really aware um, of, you know, what could cause harm to children. And it's important to remember that food allergies are more common in children under the age of five years than in older children, as young children, as we said before, may grow out of these allergies. And that's what we're hopeful for. 
So I'm going to just flick to the next slide and this is supposed to be our video. Hello, I have with me tonight Anne McIntosh, who's from the Department of Primary Industries. Hello, Anne, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me here tonight. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> um, so, what, as you know, you know, we work with family daycare educators who work with young children. Why are children considered particularly vulnerable in terms of, of food illnesses? Well, I think as every parent who's had a child in some form of childcare, mine included, um, they're a bit like walking Petri dishes, which is how I often describe my son. Their immune systems, because they are young, are not as developed as an adult, and that makes them much more susceptible to a whole range of childhood illnesses, including foodborne illness. Okay. Um, and as you're aware, a lot of family daycare educators operate out of their own homes. Is there particular legislation that they've got to follow as young people that serve food to these vulnerable children? Yeah, absolutely there is. So um, anyone who is serving food, be it in the home or not, even if it's just to kids in a family daycare situation, um, is classified as a food business. And all food businesses in both in New South Wales and all of Australia um, have to meet with the requirements of the Food Standards Australia um, food standards code and in particular what are called the food safety standards which cover off all of your um, good processing practices around temperature control, cross-contamination, um, health and hygiene of food handlers, um, the facility hygiene itself and also the structural requirements for the facility as well. So things like hand wash basins and services being smooth and impervious to moisture. So they're the requirements that apply to every single food business in the country, including family daycare. You may be aware family daycare educators operate out of their own homes. What sort of food safety legislation do they need to abide by? Yeah, like... Um, any other retail business, um, the main food safety legislation that applies to family daycare is the Food Standards Code. So standards 3.2.2 and 3.2.3 cover safe preparation of food, be it in a, a retail shop or in a family daycare. It covers the um, hygiene of the facility, hygiene of um, workers who may be handling food there, and also any structural requirements for the facility. So do um, family daycare services need to register as a food business with their local council? Yes, so local council will have the primary jurisdiction for inspecting both childcare centres and family daycare centres. So anyone who's operating a centre of that type uh, would need to register with their local council. Okay. Um, so what are the main areas of food preparation or storage that educators need to be aware of in terms of food safety? Sure. Um, one thing COVID has, uh, has really reinforced with everyone is the need to, to wash your hands frequently. So in a, in a food handling environment, before you start handling food, after handling raw foods or whenever else it's actually needed, to, to wash their hands um, using clean, clean and sanitised utensils is also a really good way. And that just helps to eliminate some cross-contamination. Um, most people are aware of the requirement to keep food under temperature control, so either keeping it below 5 degrees Celsius or keeping it above 60 degrees Celsius um, for, you know, for any potentially hazardous foods that need temperature control. 
Um, one of the biggest issues that we come across is um, yeah. food prep and storage and making sure that food is um, prepared safely for kids is making sure that your food contact surfaces, so that's chopping boards, knives, plates, forks, whatever, are both visually clean but also properly sanitised. So visual cleaning will remove any surface dirt that you can see, but sanitising actually gets down to microbial level and will remove any residual bacteria that may be on that plate. But if you don't clean it, sanitise, clean sanitise properly, can actually cause a foodborne illness further down the line. Um, if you're using a and cleaning, that's the scrubbing. Is the scrubbing, yeah. And, and sanitising, um, sanitising actually is what kills any bacteria that may be left on the plate. So you can do it a couple of ways. One is using heat. Most bacteria is quite susceptible to heat. So anything over 75 degrees Celsius is an instant kill. And that's why cooking is so effective at making food safe as well. It's also very effective. Heat is very effective at sanitising um, plates and dishes, particularly ones that go to the dishwasher. The other way is using a chemical sanitizer, which will have the same effect. Um, just making sure that whatever you use is suitable for use in a food handling environment. So what's a, can you give me an example of a chemical sanitizer? Um, a basic chlorine-based sanitizer is a great one. It's very simple, easy to make up um, and very effective. Um, and the chlorine will dissipate afterwards so there's no residues left behind either. Right. Okay. So that's probably, that's probably the easiest one and the one we see the most being used as well. Yeah. It's just a matter of making sure um, it's made up correctly and it's at the correct concentration. But for most people, if they're using a dishwasher, just putting everything through the dishwasher, they don't have to then think about it. Oh, you'd be surprised. Um, dishwashers are very good at getting the water at the right temperature. But you need to make sure it's the actual surface of the plate or the cup that gets to the right temperature. And that's often where we find issues, not only in, in daycare situations, but also in retail as well. Right. Okay. And what about like your bench tops? You need to either do them with the sanitizer. Absolutely. So getting a getting a spray bowl of a sanitizer and a clean cloth, using a clean cloth every time, or disposable paper towel, spraying your bench top down, leaving it there for whatever contact time your particular sanitizer may need, uh, and then wiping it off. Okay. Cool. I've got that. <laughs> um, so some educators work from like converted garages or from the shed out the back, you know, and they often have like small kitchenettes in them. They might have, have a microwave and a sink. Is there anything particular they need to worry about in that situation? Look, irrespective of whether they're using their, their home kitchen whether they're a separate daycare centre or whether they're using a converted garage, they still need to meet the basic structural requirements that are in the Food Standards Code. So there really shouldn't be any difference to what they have. Um, even if it's a small kitchenette, they should be able to maintain temperature control for food. They should be able to have facilities there for cleaning and sanitising and their surfaces of all their benches, et cetera, should be made out of a suitable material. So a timber bench is not going to cut it because that can't be effectively cleaned and sanitised, but a laminate bench, a metal bench, anything like that would be suitable. And it's important, isn't it, to look at things like joins between your Absolutely. Covered. Why is that? Oh, because they could be harbourage spots for um, bacteria. You can get dirt wedged in there. Um, and if you, you know, you, 
you might, yeah, in the middle of cooking um, and you'll get a little bit that comes loose and all of a sudden it ends up in the food accidentally. And we know it's not intentional, absolutely not. But, you know, it is a risk. And so, yeah, joints and things like that should be as smooth as possible um, and making sure they... there with your silicone and... Yeah, absolutely, yes, yes. Yeah. Or try and avoid them altogether if that's possible. Right. Okay, cool. Um, and... Some educators don't actually prepare food. They just, um, parents give them lunch boxes. What do they need to do under the legislation? What do they need to be aware of? Yep, so they need to have provisions for being able to keep that food cold because typically it's going to be things like sandwiches and yogurts and all those kind of good things that parents give their kids for, for lunch at daycare. So they need to have a refrigerator to be able to keep that food cold. If the kids are being served their food out of the lunchbox onto a plate, then they need to have provisions there for um, cleaning the plates. They need to make sure the fridge itself, including things like the handles, the seals, the shelves, the internal surfaces, are all kept clean and sanitised as well. And they also, under allergen risk, need to make sure they give the right lunchbox to the right child as well. Yeah, I, I think they're pretty aware of that one. What about um, there's been a bit of a fuss in centre-based services recently that take lunchboxes about those insulated lunchboxes because they're not cold enough for the refrigerator to be able to penetrate? Yeah, something I'm not across. Um, I haven't um, had any conversations with anyone about that, so probably really not my... Okay, well, I've just heard that they've been told to open up those um, uh, lunch boxes that are are insulated to ensure that the cold air from the fridge can actually... Oh, okay. That's the first I've heard of that one. What about if parents send, like, an ice block in their food with their food like they're told to at school is that not good enough look ice bricks are good um but are they keeping the food below four degrees celsius or five degrees celsius probably not mm-hmm. um and as the food handler and as the they, when they accept that lunchbox they also accept the responsibility to store that appropriately so having a fridge there to keep that food nice and cold is their best option okay um, what are the main things that we need to teach children about um, foodborne illnesses? Yeah, so um, my son's very well versed in all of this. <laughs> I'm sure he is. <laughs> um, look, washing your hands before before handling food, before eating lunch as well, um, and after handling any raw food. So if they're doing a cooking activity in family daycare, that's really a really great time to. Um, stress the importance of hand washing when you're handling food, Um, making sure food is hot and cold and making sure everything's nice and clean. If kids can get those basics down pat, they're well on their way. Okay, that sounds fairly easy. Um, uh, So I suspect that some educators have kind of moved away from preparing food for children um, uh, and are just doing the lunch boxes because of their concerns about it's more legislation they've got to abide by, et cetera. You know, what, um, you know, which I think is quite sad because preparing food with children and for children can be quite a great thing. Yeah. So is there any way those educators can be reassured that they can um, prepare food safely and in the guidelines of the law? Look, it's realistically, I mean, food safety, it's, it's not rocket science. It's... It's, it's a few basic rules that if you stick to them, 
you're going to be probably fine. So it's the making sure your facility complies in the first days in, in terms of structure because facilities that are structurally compliant are going to be ones that will be easier to keep clean. Um, making sure you maintain your temperature control with food um, and then that cleaning and sanitising, which is not hard to do, um, but it's making sure how to make up, knowing how to make up your sanitizer properly and how to use it properly and making sure you do it every day. Um, if you're doing activities with the kids, um, such as a cooking activity in class, pick an activity for something that's going to be low risk. So something like making a cake or cookies that you know is going to go in the oven, get a thorough cooking, so it would kill off anything that might accidentally end up in there. Um, and that way you know you're making a safe food but having a great activity that kids can participate in as well. Okay. So it's not hard. Um, and the Food Authority, uh, we have a wealth of resources on our website as well, which can actually, um, fact sheets that can actually help facilities um, if they want some extra information or they can call our contact centre as well. Okay. Thank you very much. That sounds, you know, like it should be fairly simple and easily. And yeah. probably a lot of us have absorbed so many food messages through the years that, we just do it as second nature, you know. We do, yes. We're aware of and it needn't have that extra level of anxiety around it. Thank you very much for your help, Anne. No worries. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm just going to have a look at some of the questions and see if we can unpack some of those. If you'd like to put some in the chat box, please feel free to do so, and we'll try and get to as many as we possibly can. Okay, so let's have a look at these questions. Is it okay to share food between the children using one plate um, with like a, a dipping Sauce, I would assume, is what you mean, as it shows on the slide, two children eating carrots. So I think, you know, depending on the group of children that you have, making sure that all children have washed their hands, and I would actually provide some tools that, like tongs or, you know, maybe even gloves or something like that where children can actually be part of that process of serving their own food, maybe using one centralised plate and then taking it to their own plate um, might be a way that you can get around that. Um, somebody else has said, I use a homemade non-toxic cleaning solution. So water, lemon, bicarb, soda, vinegar, and eucalyptus oil in a spray bottle. Is this okay? I would say yes, because um, it's non-toxic and there's lots of natural um, ingredients in there. And you can definitely research that as well. And it might be really good for, um, you know, any allergies or skin conditions as well. So hopefully that answers your question. But when in doubt, always just use warm soapy water. Um, and as we said, the difference between um, cleaning something and then sanitising something, but sanitising, you might choose to use chemicals when you don't have the family daycare children in care. Okay, another question. If we provide food, what do we do if the children have not eaten? Again, um, have these conversations with families, but I would definitely encourage you to have lots of grazing platters throughout where children can actually wander over. Um, I know of an educator who actually has like a, a small fridge um, outside in her outside space and there's always cheese sticks, yogurts, fresh fruit cut up and the children can just wander over and, you know, um, graze on the food and engage with eating when they feel like they want to do that. So um, that would be um, something that you could do as well. 
Um, does an educator allow to cook food with the children and turn on the stove? I would definitely have a chat with your coordination unit about this or talk with your coordinators or ESOs, um, whatever you call your, um, you know, visiting um, service staff. Have a chat with them. Always come back to your policies and procedures. Have a look at the setup that you've got. Um you know, it depends on the age of the children. It depends on access to the kitchen area, um, how safe you can actually make it. So I would, you know, definitely unpack that with your service in particular and ask their advice because it, it will change from service to service based on policy and procedure. Lots of questions coming in, so bear with me. Um What are some of the strategies for educators that are consistently reminding parents to provide healthy eating or nutritional food in their children's lunchbox, handed out resources to give them an example of what to provide, but they're still packing whatever they have available at home. Again, um, you know, it probably is something that is going to be quite universal and, it, you know, it just depends on the family as well. Really talking to the family one-on-one, -on -one, confidentially and really explaining to them that, you know, based on lots of the information that we've provided tonight about why we can't be giving children foods that are high in, you know, fats, sugars, things like that, we really need to take it back to basics and really explain that, you know, they might send that food, but you might be able to provide some healthy um, alternatives as well. So you might ask, lots of children to, you know, bring in a piece of fruit and maybe share that um, rather than go for the chips and the chocolates and, and things like that. It is something that is really hard to answer as a one-size-fits-all approach. But I think if you remind families about your philosophy, your personal philosophy, so that's your service philosophy, your personal philosophy, giving them as much information as possible and, um, you know, really praising them when they do bring, um, you know, really good, healthy options in for their children as well. So I hope that answers that. And, you know, it might be something that you could actually put on the PD in your pocket page and share some ideas or, um, you know, engage with other educators within your service and ask how they are able to get around this as well. Lots of questions coming in. Um, what certificate required if an educator wants to provide food for children? So um, it did say in the package, which you couldn't actually see in the video, but you do as an educator need to be consistent with um, regular updates on what to provide um, children for food. So you can do a food handling course and that might be something that your service actually requires. So again, come back to your service policies and procedures, but definitely, um, you know, regular training, I would say at least every six months about healthy eating, doing programs like Munch and Move, keeping up to date with portion um, control and, um, you know, provide getting, um, you know, resources that you can provide your families as well. I think that's a really good way to sort of overcome that. Um, lots of questions. I'm just going to read a couple more um, and then any of the others um, we can actually put on the PD in your pocket Facebook page. But I think, is it okay to ask parents to bring food to share? In some cases, depending on whether you have children with food intolerances, again, this comes 
back to knowing your group of children really well. But I think it's okay to actually ask parents to provide one piece of fruit and maybe, you know, the children could be part of that conversation. This is the fruit that I bought in today and really feel part of that whole socialization of, you know, um, sitting around and sharing a platter of food. Um, should I sit and have lunch with the children? Absolutely. Wherever we can, we really want to seize these moments with the children and make it as much of a learning opportunity as we possibly can. There are so many rich conversations that can come out of sitting down with children and engaging with them while they're eating food. We can talk about colours, textures, culture, um, you know, the way the food was made. We really want to capture these moments with children wherever we can. And also, it's a great way to sort of scaffold and build upon their skills and knowledge and really sit down and find out what children know about food rather than us always giving them the facts. We want to sit down. We want children to hypothesize and really think about the process. We want to say to children, what do you think would happen if we did this? What do you think would happen, you know, in terms of STEM or mathematics or, you know, something like that. But we we really want to use those opportunities to sit down and engage with children while we're eating food. And as I said before, we can really be really good role models for children as well because we can talk about the food that we're eating with them as well and that might encourage the fussy eaters to overcome that. So I hope that answers many of your questions. I'll just have another quick look but I think I've covered most of them. Um, and do we have to use gloves? Again, it whatever measures you can take to protect um, the food with children, gloves, tongs, things like that, regular hand washing. And again, it's role modeling to children as well. So, um, you know, wherever you can definitely use that. But um, as I said before, really come back to your policies and procedures and service expectations as well. Um, because I do believe that um, while most of these things are a general rule, you really want to be doing what is expected within your service. And what great way for you to actually invite, um, you know, staff members from your coordination unit to come in and, you know, sit with children and make it a, a really big social experience as well. So role modelling that behaviour with, um, you know, gloves, tongs, things like that. So hopefully that has answered lots of your questions. Again, apologies for the technical issues, but we do, um, we will be able to put this up um, on the PD New Pocket Facebook page so that you can watch those two videos. Please feel free to share any comments or feedback um, and, you know, really engage in these rich conversations. Um, find out more. So participate in the PD New Pocket Facebook group. If you haven't already, please jump on there. Um, it really is a great resource and I love seeing all of the fantastic photos that everybody has shared. And um, also you can go on www.nswfdc.org.au. And we also want to thank the New South Wales government for, um, you know, providing this session for you tonight. It was a free session and um, hopefully you got lots of great information out of it. So thank you so much for joining and we hope to see you very soon in the next session. Have a great night. Bye. Thanks for listening into this episode of PD in Your Pocket. If you'd like to listen to other podcasts in this series or find out more information about this program, you can go to the New South Wales Family Day Care Association website, nswfdc.org.au. This podcast was produced on the land of the Wongal people.